Hello, Jeremy. <laughs> Hi, Raph. Hey. Hey, what up? What up, 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 up? Yeah. Um, we haven't recorded in a while because, I guess because I was traveling, but you weren't very pushy either. You weren't like, hey, man. I know. Sometimes record. you're like, record, and then... Uh, I was like, mm, I wonder if he's okay. And then I was about to send you a message, and you you messaged me at that point. Actually, our friend Bogomir messaged me at that moment. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was in the Netherlands uh, for several reasons, and for work and for family and fun and work. I would say. Yeah. And uh, Bogomir had been wanting to show me the next museum, and he, he gave me the full tour. The, the next museum is the Digital Art Museum, where he's the curator, and uh, it's the first real size digital art museum in the Netherlands. So uh, it's become it, I, quite yeah. a popular attraction. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's only for screen based stuff. Right? It's, it's it's so funny with institutions and museums. It's always sensitive what you can talk about. And, and he told me stuff and I'm like, can I say this on the pocket? But he did say, because there's a lot of, uh, let's say, teenager tourism in, in Amsterdam, people who mm. want to have a good time. So there's a lot of people that have taken uh, certain substances and then go to that museum. You know what's funny? So, so I, they, I mean, they had to educate the, the museum guards to deal with people who are hallucinating or tripping or whatever awesome. you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if it qualifies as a museum if it doesn't collect work. Do they collect? or? Uh, they do commissions, and then I think th- that work ends up being part of their collection, but oh. uh, it's... Like the new museum doesn't collect, but we still call it a museum. Yeah, that's true. Why do we do that? I think, yeah. I mean, I've called my own self a museum before. <laughs> yeah, and, and myself, everybody's yeah. website is a museum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe we're all just museums, personally. But it's an interesting. It's interesting when people choose not to or use like gallery, museum, whatever. But you know, what I was going to say is in regards to like that type of museum. Let's call it. Um, experience museum yeah where people have an experience remember like the museum of ice cream (laughs) was like yeah that's that's like one side of the spectrum and no i know i know but it was funny because i was at a electronic art festival and meeting with other you know people making digital work and i met with a younger you know creative gentleman (laughs) i say this because he didn't necessarily refer to himself as an artist but i think of him i would think he's an artist and i was like what do you do and he's like Oh, like I help put together these installations that are kind of like marshmallow laser feast or whatever. And or was that the is that the one? What's the one with um, where the guy died? He committed suicide. Is that? Uh, I'm not sure. Meow Wolf. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm running it like if you put laser and cats in something, and maybe then you know. Have you ever gone to a Meow Wolf exhibition? I haven't, no. <clears throat> but he was saying. He he didn't even do Meow Wolf. He did these other ones that were like kind of not necessarily branded as an art artwork, but like occupied the same space. And yeah. he and it was interesting because he was talking about the revenue model. And I don't think he would mind me saying he was like, yeah, like it's a very creative job. We they they really want us to come up with creative ideas and just be inventive and you know, do really cool stuff. And it's kind of like puzzles. So he started to say, it's like a little bit like an escape room, but more creative. And I was like, Oh, like how many tickets do you sell? He's like, Oh, we always sell out. Like every time we do it and I go into, he's like, I go to a different city every three months and I build one of these. So they so must be all over the equivalent US. of the circus. Well, he's like, like, yeah. And he yeah. was saying like each one makes many millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so I thought, okay, that's interesting. Give the people what they want. 
and then I and I ran into a friend last week at a restaurant. They just sat next to me, like I hadn't seen them in like twenty years, uh, you know. And they sit down. I mean, it wasn't twenty years, five years, so like, <laughs> but a long time. It'd been a while. And I was like, you know, are you still making this work? What are you doing? They're like, oh yeah, we do these like haunted house mansions now, where we take over a whole building, and we like totally transform the building in the style of our artwork. And so we've taken our work and like made it this experience. And I was like, are you making a lot of money from it? Like, oh, no, 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 we're not making very much money from it at all because we're paying everyone extremely fairly. And I was like, ah, interesting. Okay. So the, but the one constant seemed to be the popularity of these things and also the budget. You know, she was like, our budget's like between 500,000 and a million to do these. And I just thought it was really interesting to hear in quick succession. It is telling that you end up always. That you, Jeremy Bailey, always talk about money with people. No, no, I don't How talk about. Money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like I just like I just like. You're like that. the world's worst communist. I'm like an in, I'm like a, a VC investor. I'm like, what's your CAC to LTV ratio? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And okay, so how are you? Uh, you know, how, what's your your pathway to customers, and yeah. what are your costs? Yeah, so I do tend to ask business model canvas questions, but it's just because I mean, I was like, you know, I'm interested in it creatively as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a business mm-hmm. model that sure. seems to be like, in some cases, like well recognized art. And you could even say like the Astor Gates, who was doing work in Chicago, making movie theaters, coffee shops, all kinds of experiences, might be on the one end of the, you know, on one extreme contemporary. Well, the Roden creator from uh, James Terrell. Yeah, or even in, yeah, in LA, that there's that museum that's like uh, the obsolete stuff. It's called like the. Uh, uh, Jurassic Technology Museum. Have you ever been there? Heard about that no. one? What's that? It's kind of considered like a folk art thing, but it's real art. Like, what I find interesting is that there are all the, and it's very popular, like non-art people will tell you to go. Um, and so this format has existed for a long time, but it seems like it's like caught on in a bigger way. And so like yeah. something like the Next Museum does not surprise me at all that like no, no, kids no. who are high on mushrooms are like hanging out there. Um because where else are they going to hang out? The mall? Like, if you did a, if you actually did do a business model canvas and you looked at the existing alternatives, it's like Starbucks. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Because <laughs> like, if if retail is no longer serving the function of selling and more of hanging out, then why still have products there? Why not just make an experience? Yeah, yeah. yeah like the, I can't believe that we've been competing against coffee shops as artists for as long as we have. Like, we can certainly do better, right? So there, I still think you know you have like places like. Um, we work and stuff that, and you might cringe when you hear that, but like they were saying. But do you very care about on. about art at all, Jeremy? Because it sounds like you only care about money. Mm, why? <laughs> so you <laughs> you just want me to tell everyone I'm no longer a full time artist? No, 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 that's not <laughs> the point. It's it's just your focus. Yeah. Um, you know, no. What one thing I realized over this whole first time art uh, full time artist period was. I really do, and I've said this before on the podcast. So that I that I really enjoy business as a creative problem solving. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think business thing. is also uh, something where you're connected to power. So I think that a lot of people have a hard time with art because, at the end of the day, uh, art is very harmless. Mm. You're not really going to change the world. It's just it's a game. You can change the world for sure. You can. Eh, but what I mean with power is like. If you you were at FreshBooks, and if you really make the administrative side for creative professionals a oh, lot yeah. easier and cheaper, you're really... And I think that kind of power... I don't mean power in a negative It's sense. cultural power. I get it, yeah. 
it's it's the the idea of uh, uh, being somewhere, changing things for better, and I think that's something a lot of people who start with art, if you if you don't accept the uselessness, it's very hard to continue. And I think a lot of people do like. That's why people like business. It's like, oh, we're making the best ice cream in the world, and people enjoy it, and or, or yeah. whatever. And we're improving the recipe, and we're at scale. Or and that's also why a lot of people like design. They're like, oh, I, I improved this interface, and it it, it brings it's, people it does, joy. It is, and it's, it's at scale. Yeah. You're right. Scale is like almost inherently a part of it. It was it's funny exciting. Yeah, scale is exciting. Earlier this week, I was hanging out with a bunch of like, um, like at an accelerator for XR businesses which is like augmented and virtual reality I don't know, can we just like is that a new term thing? xr <sighs> no people use it and it's like Acceler- accelerated reality what is it <laughs> it's like what extra it? reality or oh but um extended reality <laughs> isn't reality too much already? It's, a, it's extended reality i think is the term <laughs> okay but, but regardless it refers to ar and vr I, I know I, I find it annoying as well because I'm like I know what AR is I know what VR is you put that X in there now I have to guess but I think that you know it's like remember when art with media digital artists were like is it internet art is it transmedia is it new media it's like the same debate who cares but I was talking to them and about their business plans as you <laughs> but a, what was interesting is a few of them were actually artists that were transitioning into building businesses from their like creative practice like from a you know i'd shown with one yeah of them as an and, and i i think that's not just survival it's not that they have that it it's partly that like oh you want to be able to have a comfortable life and be safe and all these things but i think a big part of it is just it's exciting that's the exciting thing of business is people working together on a common goal and all these kind of things yeah, I mean, this morning I was running like a purpose workshop for an, another group of people, artists that I'm working with on something else, and it was it was just a you know to get at like, hey, why are we why are we excited about this, right? Mm. But this is a very common exercise in business, but not very common among groups of artists working together. They might you know it would happen probably yeah. over beers, but not formally, um, you know, where you get like this. I'll give you like the the thing you need to like scale with like. But in an art conversation, that would make most people cringe. They'd be like, "Jeremy, stop taking our no." Like, I, our emotions. I, I think that does happen. Where, let's say you're a young painter, and then a collector comes in. And it's like, "Let me buy fifteen of these, and I'll give you a studio for a year." Or, yeah, that's that's the equivalent of the accelerator or the the, the white combinator. But I think call it, the, that, yeah. the, the collector might also. I think you're right, and it's a good point. Force that artist to say. I'm all about this. Like they would position the yeah. artist. Like, but good. but but uh, I want to take a few steps back. Yeah. Not talk about business, but but uh, about lifestyle. So yeah, I yeah. just went to the Netherlands. I saw Bogomir. Yeah. I saw a lot of people. Like in two weeks, I I compressed. I had so many appointments. So I have a show in Germany in a museum, uh, Museum Folkwang next year. So I was there for three days, and it was just back to back meetings, testing screens in the space, discussing how to hang things discussing materials discussing it's like one of those like documentaries they'll show like you know like when it's john lennon you know like like at the music recording studio no a little more timber yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) but it it, i mean it's great of course it's 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 really great to do a museum show but it's like three days of of just back-to-back meetings from Let's say nine in the morning till eight p.m. Just are you the one setting up the meetings, or are they like, or is it mutual? Like, 
we just have a schedule and we have chapters like oh let's talk about the publication let's yeah. talk about the and then in the Netherlands it's like lots of different meetings with manufacturers with you know just business stuff is meeting 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 and I was so drained afterwards and the thing I said about art is harmless comes from Peter Saul the painter mm-hmm. and and so there's a short documentary on him on YouTube and he, he just said this thing he became a painter because he doesn't want to deal with people Mm-hmm. And I think that's, to me, like when I think about what what art represents for other people is that, at least for me, it's like oh, there's these few people that don't have to go to meetings. Somehow society yeah, rewards I think, them. But I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, but I, today I was in a bunch of meetings again with another yeah. set of people. And it was like, I was at an institution today and it's, Six hours of a hybrid meeting. I'm just empathizing with people, with with our listeners, because it was half the uh, the meeting. The people were on Zoom, and half the people were in the room. So you have this <laughs> delay, and it's psychologically, it's like, wow, this is so tough. Like it was really interesting things we talked about, but yeah. at some point there was a break, and we just talked to each other without the camera. Yeah, and it felt so good. And then the camera went back on. It's like, oof. So, so it's like you disappointed with like contemporary business reality. Well, thing. and also disappointed with, as an artist, all you want is to be recognized and do exciting, have exciting opportunities. But then you realize they take away from the creative time. And, mm. and what, what else is there? And so it's, it's this weird uh, paradox of success. Yeah, but I was, I was reading about um, Rodin. I told you, I think, on a, on a separate conversation. And specifically like his career because he was right on the line between um, what we would consider traditional art like the painter you know in the studio and what we consider the contemporary artist which is like the painter not like instructing the people in the studio more like the, the artist is a project manager yeah yeah and like you know we've talked about people like Hearst or Murakami who have these big studios before right and but that that idea didn't exist prior to a certain time. That's not ki- true. But it no no I was about to say but it kind of actually did. Yeah, and it was just a romantic goes, idea. No, but the, I think that goes back to Egyptians and uh, Greek art. Uh, no, it no, was yeah, all so, collaborative. Okay, so good point. Which is like, you know, so what was Rodin doing during that traditional period? He was actually a studio assistant. Like, so he was basically making work on behalf of others, and you know, and was kind of miserable about it because there were all the, there were these studios in Paris and you just like, you know, you go and it's kind of apprenticing, but it's really not. It's like minimum wage work. Um, and the, he would be like, there were like 10 artists or 20. I can't remember the, you know, I don't know what the number was, but you know, these studios were pretty big and they were churning out sculptures for museums and things like that. And that's like in the 1800s. Right. So there was already like a production system built into art. Yeah. Back then. But, but, I'm always interested in the psychology of the group yeah. in those meetings. And so there's always a hierarchy, no matter how you organize your, your organization. And then there's the idea of being heard, regardless if you have something to say. So there's, everybody wants to say something, you want to respond to something. Yeah. And then you see at some, at some point people suggest things, but you don't want to suggest too concretely because it can be turned down. So you're more like speaking in in. Uh, buzzwords and mm-hmm. then someone either sort of stops you or 
the whole dynamic of meetings it's it's fast I'm not used to it but so I mean, what I'm trying to say yeah. is that there's I would say 70% of the conversation is just people being heard not actually saying something and I think that's natural I think it's very hard to everybody make a point all the time but mm, that's a type of meeting but it's not a very, like it's not a very good one um okay like, maybe the rule, the, the yeah. rule of two feet is like if you're not adding value to the meeting and some of the value could be like but you're absorbing me, information. But that's me included. Like it's a way of brainstorming or the writer's room where you're just mm. saying stuff and you're not sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to judge your meeting I mean, too I mean, what's, what's funny is this, this podcast <laughs> is like the worst. <laughs> no, it's not actually because it it's way. high bandwidth between two people, which is ideal. Okay. You can add a third person and it's a little slower. Add a fourth and it's even well, this, slower. Well, this was, uh, I think, nine people of which half were remote. So. Okay. And I've run yeah. meetings with up to 100 people. And how do you run, so how do you run a meeting like that productively? Well, you, you don't. You present to them. <laughs> or, but or you actually do. How do you run it? would be like you're a consultant. Your, your big payoff is like, how do you run this effectively? Well, you don't. Well, yeah, exactly. But no, like what, what you're supposed to do or what you can do is you can turn the meeting upside down. So instead of you, you become the facilitator in the room and then you like get everyone on their sticky notes, but you basically transform it into a workshop. But what's funny I always find about that, like I've, I do those all the time, I did one today, is that you're asking people to go away from the meeting for like five to 10 minutes and think on their own as a solo human being and write down what they're mm. thinking. Mm-mm. And then you go around the room and That's share. That's a good point. That's because what I'm talking about is that uh, with two people, it's you know I have this issue. I always interrupt people. I'm impatient, I guess. But if there's a big group, you're like, oh, I want to respond to that sentence, but it's impolite, so you can't just cut yeah, in. And then so the no conversation moves another way, and you forget what you wanted to respond to. That's right. And the larger the group is, the more complicated that gets, and then you get into this. Some people are more extroverted, some people are more yeah. introverted. So you don't want to cut in, and so what you're saying is. If people leave the room and write things down, yeah. Yeah, so designers solved this. I mean, that's what I do almost full-time as like a design leader is like get huge groups of people together, get all their ideas out, synthesize those, you know, diverge and then converge around, like synthesize them into a point of view that everyone agrees like, oh my God, how did you know that was our collective 100 people point of view? And I'm like, I didn't. I asked you what your points mm. of view were. And then I like I brought them together. But I think for you as the artist in that room with those people at the museum, it's challenging because they're asking you for their your point of view, right? But they also have they're basically the masters of constraint. So they're like, Yeah, exactly. Oh, but we can only yeah. do this, or you can't do yeah. that, or what about this, right? Well, let's say this is not about me, but let's say as an artist, you want to do a bigger project that you can't do on your own. And then you're the one who has to come up with the strangest possible idea, and then other people are going to temper your creativity. That mm-hmm. that's kind of the nature of that conversation. It's yeah. Oh, we don't have the budget. We don't have the means. We don't have the space. How about this? How about that? that well, the audience wouldn't understand it. Da 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 da. So it's not always that way, though. You know what my no. favorite situations are, and I'm sure you've had this. They assign you a single producer. <laughs> And at that point, they're like, the producer's job is like to solve all of your problems and your constraints. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I love it, when that happens. They're like, but it, what's interesting to me is um, you've been in a lot of meetings. And, oh, yeah. But you, Thousands. are you someone who then, does it cost you more, a lot of energy? Are you 
very tired at the end of the day or do you miss being in meetings now now that you're not in meetings as much yeah i do i miss it a little bit um i i remember at the beginning of the pandemic being exhausted by zoom meetings because in person meetings i was a very dynamic participant but by the end like earlier this year i it didn't phase me at all to be on calls for for hours and hours, but I did so, change the way I run meetings. But, over but that time. let's say that um, before the pandemic, when you were at FreshBooks, yeah, you were in meetings maybe six hours a day. Yeah, probably six or seven. Yeah, and and like those last five years, were there points where you thought this is too much conversation? Uh, I I can't. It's hard for me. No, pers- because I had, yeah. I had a big team, and I was I was often the meetings were not to talk; they were to review and problem solve. And I think those so, types... Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just a different person. But to me, uh, I, I went to, to Texas to do three days of workshops and I was so drained because it's just talking all the time. And it, everything, none of it was a mm. bad conversation, but like... I hear you saying. Uh, let's have a breakfast meeting with this department. Let's talk about yeah. Web3 and digital art. Let's have a meeting and talk about... And I, 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 I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast feel like no, I, I'm coming I, from a very privileged position, but no, I'm just I don't think not so. used to it. But I, I don't think so. I'm saying there's probably a lot of people you worked with that don't have the personality to be in meetings and they'd rather be making. 10,000%. Uh, yeah. 1 million percent, as they say in business. But like, uh, <laughs> just kidding. But like I was talking to a friend in business actually the other day who, you know, also an artist working in business and they were like, you're so good at the social thing. You should really like start your own business and have clients. I think you've said that to me before because like they had, they had noticed that when I moved to Calgary, I was like, I posted online, like who should I meet? And they're like, I would never do that. (laughs) Why would I move to a place and want to meet people? I'm like Mm. trying to get out of meetings. (laughs) Mm -mm. And they're like, well, it's a fine line because two little meetings and even, you know, I love being alone all day, listening to music, making my work. But if I don't have a, lunch with someone or go to the gym or somewhere where I see people I, I feel down at the end of the day yeah I get I get anxious over time because I'm yeah. I feel like untethered from reality like yeah for me but, reality but, is only knowable through the you know through sharing but I don't but know. to me if 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 I'm in meetings for eight hours a day for a yeah. week I feel like I need a break for a month and yeah I, I'm sure a lot of programmers and designers and sound designers and videographers and all kinds of sort of nerdy, obsessive, interested people who just want to make quality things. But can you see yourself ever having like a team on site? Because I know you work with a programmer. um, I work with three programmers at this point. Oh, wow. One is is full-time and two on project basis, but... You know, I we mostly talk on Discord, and then with Rainier, we I have a morning meeting. It's usually twenty to thirty minutes, yeah. And then there's chat during the day, and that doesn't feel draining at all. It's uh, it's just that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know, but what's the difference, right? It's because well, the the difference is like I was saying with nine people, like this weird group psychology. Mm. If like, uh, can I talk now? Am I yeah. bothering someone? And, and Am I stepping on someone's toes? And I, I always cut off people, so I don't want yeah. to talk too much. But I have so many ideas; I want to share them. And well, they've yeah. they've even shown like if you're on Zoom, like 
it's not natural to look into so many people's eyes at the same time. It creates like a <laughs> natural threat response, yeah. though, like yeah, like as if you're being hunted by wild animals. So, <laughs> but besides meetings, like I think, I don't know. We we didn't have a topic for today, but well, I think, I think it's a good it's a good topic. We've talked about meetings many many times, but I think if you think of business as just meetings, you're missing out on all the fun, right? Like, yes, that's that's one of the ways in which a lot of stuff happens inside of a business. Um, but usually I'm running workshops to be honest with you. So I did like, I think I, I, I think I mentioned at the start. So of the that's podcast. more uh, sort of similar to an art teacher. I think it's, yeah, it's more like we are here working together to make something that we couldn't make alone. Right. And that is a, that I think that that is more like a studio, you know, philosophy. I, I often wonder if, if making is a, inherently satisfying thing or if we've been conditioned like a lot of people say oh i wish my job was more creative yeah and is that something that we've been told by advertising that that you're a good human being if you're creative or is that inherently is there something in us because you think of a traditional sort of guild like oh Mm. you're a blacksmith or you're a baker or something and your family has done that that seems like a happy image someone who's really good at something and does it every day but Maybe we, it's exotic in, in our current world, and that's why we glamorize it or, or fetishize it. Yeah, yeah, I saw something interesting recently, and maybe it's off topic, but they're, they're talking about the difference in mindset between someone who has imposter syndrome and someone who um, believes they have the potential to learn new things. And so the imposter syndrome mindset would be like, I'm not capable of producing a result I'm satisfied with, and therefore I mean, you know, I'm worthless. And the like, the learner's mindset would be, hey, I'm not capable of doing this, but I believe in myself enough to learn or to bring other people into my sphere of influence that can help me achieve this outcome, right? The difference between the two is fear versus ambition or creative creativity. Like, I think that in, in leadership, they distinguish between two modes. I think I've talked about this on the podcast, reactive leadership and creative leadership. And reactive leadership kind of tends toward fear and like and so you'll find people that are like controlling others or you know it's more like mafia style leadership like hey if you don't do this i'm gonna beat you you know to a pulp or whatever (laughs) uh versus creative leaders which was i'm gonna inspire you to achieve this you know thing we didn't think was possible and i think most artists are like i I wouldn't say most artists i don't want to generalize but i think you actually are in that creative leadership mode and when you're in that meeting it's not creative because it's like you're not inspiring those people to come along it's like i said earlier they're there to bring you down or it feels that way a little bit well it, it, I, I don't I, I have to say that all the meetings i was in we had really good outcomes so oh, good you know but i'm still saying with maybe i sound like the most uh, spoiled person on the planet but I was so drained after two weeks yeah. of, of traveling and meeting and meeting and meeting. And uh, like, I really missed just the... But I've worked with so many founders, Raf, and the, you know what they all say? And, I, and tell me if this sounds familiar. Like, I just want this to get out of my head and for people to make it without me having to communicate it, right? Like, founders are usually extremely frustrated that they have so many ideas in their head and they have oh, no, no ability to communicate. Oh, no, I don't feel that way. Well, no. great. No. Because, like, but, like, most people have to communicate by talking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like, and so it's exhausting to say the same thing over and over again, and people never really quite get it. And you're like, no, 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 it's in my head. 
Can't you see it? Right? I think no, the artist no, has the I, I, I'm more of the the artist has to think with with their brush, whatever their brush is. So I, I don't believe in this. Tell someone. Well, how do you work then with like a Rainier or someone like that? Like, does well, he I, say I, like a little bit like this, a little bit like that, or how does he test what's right? Well, basically, I make a storyboard. So I, I use Adobe Illustrator, and I'll first start with a pen and paper and just scribble and doodle and then I'm like oh that's interesting I'll do some color studies on the computer and so I have a folder we, we work in Dropbox and there's a folder with the sketches the mm-hmm. digital sketches and as we're working we start the day and then we uh, if he's done with the previous ones we'll look at the sketches and be like well let's talk about this one and then it maybe has four or eight frames and I'm saying well the circle starts here and then moves to the outside and it'll move in a circular motion and I'll draw some arrows mm-hmm. and I like, let's randomize this. Here's the color palette and I give him a set yeah. of hex codes and then he makes a prototype and I'm like, okay, let's leave it for a week. Yeah, I often do that. I say, let's put it in the fridge and a week later I'll, I'll look at it, play with the settings and get a new idea. I'm like, oh, what if they go the opposite way? Da-da. Um so no, I don't I mean, know if what that clarifies what, no, it. it clarifies it greatly. Like, cause you know, I work as an artist the same way where I prototype something before I even know sometimes fully what it's going to be just as much as I know, I try and make it either in a drawing. Like well, it's, said. It, it's usually, it's not like I have this grand vision of yeah. this, this, uh, let's say you're dreaming of like building the world's best airplane and you, you don't know how to do it. And you have to tell people I'm imagining this thing and it kind of looks like a Falcon and it's, weightless and it's yeah, amazing yeah. and it's cheap and that's not how it is it's more to me it's like what if there are three circles and they each have a sound and when they hit each other the, the sounds multiply oh but that's so, also really insightful what you just said like what if like yeah. starting with that as the premise yeah that's but, already but, opening but but to me it, it it's good to narrow the problem so first you start with like what happens when you play two sounds at the same time and maybe the reverberation is interesting? And w- what does the browser do? And mm-hmm. questions like that. And just doing very narrow experiments. And then so you have a folder with 15 narrow experiments and maybe you combine some of them. And Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds like... But that's what a practice. studio practice is. That I think that's but what, what I'm I, trying to say. Is it, it, yeah. I, it, the, the, the goal of the, what, what you call studio practice is that you have this safe space for creativity where you're just yeah. and you know making what I, iterations. I, what I, the reason I wanted to hear that is because like on the best teams I've been on in business, it's, al- it's almost identical. Right? Mm. Like, so, but I think that not very Well, that's the are, removal of fear because you're, you're in a space where you don't think you're... you're I was just watching a Kung Fu movie and they enter the dojo and they're talking about winning or losing. And he's like, no, 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 no expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you got to be. No expectations. I know. I was just talking to someone about this because I had, I worked with um, someone I'm, you know, I became very fond of over the years, but he rubbed some people the wrong way because he would want to have these messy meetings. He'd call them like, let's just have a messy meeting. <laughs> and, you know, in business, like that's not the thing to say because people are like, well, we need outcomes and da, 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 right? Like, but I actually really cherished these messy meetings because they could go, we would have a goal, but we could go anywhere, right? There was no wrong discussion to have. And well, that's almost like, are you going to drive to your destination or are you going to have a road trip? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, is it get, getting there in t- on time? Because I, I was watching some Seinfelds, and George is always like, we're making good time. He, he wants to get <laughs> to the place as fast as possible, yeah, and he gets yeah. really frustrated if there's someone in front of him in traffic. And someone else might be like, hey, that's a cool diner. Let's stop uh, and have a milkshake. Yeah, the old saying is, uh, you want to go somewhere fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Mm. But... Um, Anyway, I've, I always anyway, appreciate that, you but have it's a, rare. You it's have rare. a big announcement. Well, I think, like, yeah, the reason I'm uh, hinting at the business stuff is that I, I did end up taking a job. <laughs> and, I, and I was afraid to tell you because I thought you were going to judge me. Um, no, no, no. You should and, do whatever you think is best. But Well, but, no, and I was missing it, and I was having some conversations, and some places were not inspiring. Um, but one place did stand out as a, a very inspiring place to, to bring my artistic energy to be honest with you and to continue being an artist is, which is my preferred mode as you know is like both yeah um but the, it's good that you had the time to experience being without a job for a while and then see how you feel yeah it's been a like a good run like more than two months almost three months uh, by the time it'll be over actually i've been three months and um was it three months yeah well no two about two months but um, that's a, that's kind of a long time to be out of work. I've never, I haven't been out of work for two months in, I, th- I want to say like over a decade. Yeah, definitely over a decade. So, uh, and even before that, I was freelancing. So I, I remember never taking a vacation until I was in my 30s. So it's probably been since I was a teenager and like had a summer off, which hmm. is weird. Yeah, but if, if your job is really fun, then you don't need vacation. Well, no, I've never, I've never needed that much time, to be honest with you. And uh, what's been funny is like I've been filling all of my time making art, uh, as you hypothesized I would, but I don't always feel like I'm as productive. Like I am meandering a little bit, <laughs> like on some. Days. But isn't that what we were talking about? I know, this, I know. In, 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 a, in a way, it's there. wonderful. Like, but sometimes I'll be, you know, stuck on what should I do next because there's so many things I could do. Um. And so I've been, I, I've, I've like been leaning on a checklist pretty hard recently, <laughs> just mm. to like keep myself somewhat struck. I need some I structure. I live with checklists. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Like yeah. I, f- I felt like orig- initially the the lack of structure was liberating, but then it created anxiety for me. I was like, oh, but what? Sh-, you know, because I, I just didn't know what to do next. So I'm a lot less anxious than when I started, but um, yeah. yeah. And and when does your new job start? It starts in the middle of October, um, and I'll be, um, yeah, working again in design leadership, leading a research and design team at a company that does, it's called Thinkific. They do, like, online, um, basically, if, like, if you want to sell a course online, they create the software for that, to build a community, oh, to teach. Oh, that's something we were webinars. talking about. Yeah. yeah, I founded a school, so it was, like, kind of a really good fit. Also, like... Yeah, so even just like getting my own school on the. So platform. what are the tools? It's like a website and like mobile app, um, and is it sort of subscription based Zoom? Yeah, well, it, like it connects to Zoom, like so it's less about Zoom and more about like, cr- you know, like having all of the curriculum in there and also like the community, like being able to ha- basically also have a storefront. The best way to describe it is like shopify for well it's it's interesting because i've always heard this word administration when you talk about schools and i have no idea what that means it could mean so many things but it's this weird funnel where you know tuition has gone up over the years so 
people will pay 60000 a year in the U.S. for like a famous art school. <laughs> and the teachers don't get paid anything. So there's this whole funnel between the students and the teachers. Yeah. And then there's this block called admin that just swallows all the money. I know. Well, this so is, if, this, if you yeah. guys basically automate the admin layer. Yeah. Yeah, that's mostly it. But I, I would say like one of the things I was initially critical of, um, you know, and just in terms of like where I see opportunity is like learning is is like one of the base kind of emotional needs that we have as human beings. Like if you think about it, right, it's like it's the first thing we do. Like we first we breathe, obviously we drink, we eat. But then like, what do we do? We learn how to do things. Yeah. You mimic your parents. You, yeah. You, you model after them. And so we do it our whole lives and it's very emotionally engaging. Um, and it's not, it's not actually administrative. It's very experiential to get back to what we were talking about earlier in regards to like, you know, these experience museums or whatever. Learning is literally that. And and the best learning actually happens through experience. All the studies show, right? It's not the least amount of retention happens. If you read a book, the most amount of retention is actually if you teach someone else something. So if, Raph, you had to teach someone else something, you'll retain the material, even if you don't know it, because you'll have to go out and learn it in a way that's self-motivated. And so, you know, it's very experiential, and we learn more from peers than we learn from from books and, and mm. videos and things like that. Yeah. I mean, this podcast, it, I mean, I'm, it's not like we learn you learn nothing from this podcast, <laughs> but like, the less structured learning actually has better retention, right? So, well, I, I always thought that the most important thing in art that you have to learn is that it's possible. Yeah. Because it seems very strange. And so that if there's anything I want this podcast to, to talk about is that it's possible in different ways. That, that's the only I thing that. I would want to teach. I was telling Kristen this week, like one of my favorite examples of art to share, just to get that conversation going is Kosuth's chair piece, right? Where it's like Mm -hmm. the chair, a photo of a chair and the definition of a chair. And the reason I love sharing that work with people who aren't familiar with what art is, is because it, A, it abolishes the cliche of the artist of paint, like impressionist painting right away. But B, like you can ask the question, like how else could you represent the chair? Mm -hmm. Right? Like what if the chair was in space or like what if the chair was made of light or whatever it was. It was in, in XR. Yeah, what if it was an NFT? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, at that point, people are like, oh, we can imagine alternate states of everything? And you're like, yeah, that's right. That's like what you get to do when you're an artist. What That's what yeah. art making is. But you get to do that regardless of whether you're an artist is kind of my point. But so back to the um, uh, softwareizing, disrupting the, the school industry thing. Of course, there are things about physical schools that are still great but it does seem like a a big industry to be disrupted yeah yeah it's like trillions of dollars like i mean i'm pretty excited about it because it's something that you and i have talked about for years now and something that i've applied energy yeah toward and so well it, it, it's it's also this thing that's the scary thing about removing the middle people mm. uh so the admin or whatever you want to call it, and back to all those meetings and institutions and uh, inefficiencies. But when you remove it all, you also remove a lot of trust and security. And mm-hmm. uh, so when you go to the really lean model, uh, NFTs as an example, you take out the gallery, the, the collector buys directly from the artist, 
And then all of a sudden, the artist is very naked. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. what do you base these sales on? I'm, I'm just here. I'm one out of a million people. Right, and, right. And so that might be the same with if you start an alternative school. No, I think that's a really good point. Like disintermediation democratizes access, right? And then, and then you have a volume problem. Well, and and it's it's that weird thing with tuition where if you want to go to a famous art school and you really yeah. have to pay sixty thousand a year for a school that probably won't give you a well-paying job. Yeah, well, I'll share a few examples. Like, so the number one category of video on YouTube. So YouTube, world's largest video platform, right? Number one category is education. So yeah, I, people, I, I people, totally understand. Right? Like how many videos do you Even watch in very week? small ones, like, oh, how do you remove this stain from a t-shirt uh, with baking yeah. soda or whatever? Yeah. So like the demand for learning in general on the internet, like the, that's probably the internet's killer app. I've often said it's like human connection, but it's more likely learning is the actual pragmatic yeah. Yeah. Use of the internet, and if then you, you have, if you really record, like how many times you search a question and find the answer, it's it's incredible. I do it all day long. Like, yeah. and when when I encounter people who are like, "How do you know these things?" or "How would you do that?" and I'm like, "I would Google it," <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "What?" Well, I'm and then Google like made this thing where the first answer is already on their search results page, so you don't even go anywhere. You just the answer's right there. Yeah, yeah, and so with things that where the answer is not you know, black or white or obvious or in some way, I think you need like learning experiences. And then there's a like, there's a spectrum of types of learning experience that you can have from everything from Khan Academy on YouTube. But we've we've both uh, enjoyed the in-person school experience for many years. Uh, Yeah. There's something irreplaceable about hanging out with no point and goofing off and... uh, so I've learned that like, and I've learned that from making like designing a school too. And one thing I was just talking to, cause we've, ex- we've scaled our school across a few cities and I was talking to someone who organized um, a cohort in another city. So they started from scratch and I was like, Oh, so what have you like learned? And they're like, we've learned to make the social aspect of the school like as early and upfront as possible. So that like everyone is spending time together informally mm. Mm. as early in the process as possible because we've noticed that this had a huge impact on how engaged people were with the learning material after yeah. and talking to one another and stuff. So, but so it, it, we talked about starting because the podcast was, it started informally, but it was my way of thinking like, Oh, if you want to teach something, but not be in meetings all the, all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. what this podcast was for me. It's yeah. And, it, and so we talked about, uh, as a, we explored the idea of a remote school and whatever. And then a friend of mine was like, do you want to be on Zoom all day? And I was like, oh, good yeah. point. Yeah, so you don't have to be on Zoom all day. Like, there are different... Like, a lot of people now, like, upload material asynchronously, and there's, like, ways to do that. But irregardless, yeah. like, or regardless, I, I think we're doing this the way we, we like to do it. You were It was funny this week, because you were talking about... But we're not making any money from this, so... Well, we're, we're making negative money, I think. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. But money. a lot of uh, artists will traditionally have been teaching to fund their uh, artistic practice. And now I think you see people like Brad Tremell, other people who will build a community and then as a perk offer studio visits or mentoring. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of alternative school. Yeah. The, the sort of Patreon model with maybe some personal meetings, like different tiers of membership. Um. Yeah, but I mean, it, 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 all, all I'm, all I'm saying is that all that time goes away from your studio time, from your 
meandering in, in that's in true life. but i think you know built into most of art history is like there's still mentorship that happened like regardless yeah. of yeah. the time we're in and like oh there's a desire if learning starts when we're a baby the desire to like help others learn faster increases over time this is my hypothesis anyway you can dispute it but have you ever you know like my mother as she's like getting older is very eager to to reshare lessons that i ignored (laughs) 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 in in my 20s and but honestly like i'm eager to revisit them too because i'm like how could i not have seen that i I noticed with parents i don't know if it's the same with you is my theory is that they will always (laughs) see you like a toddler it doesn't matter what level of expertise you have the difference is now i'm at an age though where i'm like actually eager to listen because i don't have all the answers like the older i get the more i realize how little i know right Mm. and so but when i was in my 20s i was like i figured this out and it's so funny because i have a nephew right now and he's like 10 years old and he's like i know everything <laughs> he's, oh yeah he's not actually he's guy. not 10 years old he's like four yeah. years old uh, why am i yeah. saying 10 but he, yeah he's like i know everything there is to know i'm like well that's good for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're like some kind of fifth element creature um <laughs> but that yeah. confidence is necessary i think to otherwise he would be terrified he wouldn't even leave the house right so um anyway i i'm excited about that we'll probably continue to talk about learning, and I'll, I'll bring back lessons from. Uh, but from, from and, work, and so but. my question on the psychological toll of, of job life is: yeah. Has it been your last job seemed pretty heavy because you were in a down period and you had to tell people the job was discontinued? Yeah, it's like my job was to fire people, so it was not yeah. <laughs> and so, is is there any of that experience that you're worried about starting a job again, or was it traumatizing? Yeah, it was. Actually, it's almost like you planted that question because I've talked to quite a few people about it over the last few months. And one person in particular I was talking to had been at BlackBerry when BlackBerry was, you know, kind of downsizing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's funny, but it's just because you're Canadian. It sounds funny. No, it is. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's funny, but it's also sad. And they said it took them years to get over Well, that. it's weird because BlackBerry was so successful. I, I don't know if our listeners remember, but it was... It was its own media category. It, nothing existed like it. Yeah. It was like Kleenex. Yeah. yeah. And well, they, yeah. And so what they said is like, it's probably going to pop up at unfortunate times for you and you might never get over it because it, was, it wasn't necessarily you, but you know, you, because of the type of person you are, you're like, you were in the yourself. right place at the wrong time. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you just have to like, you learn to cope with, you know, managing that as like an experience that you had and, and take the lessons you can from it. But it's it's really hard to see something fail so catastrophically, I think. Like and I I, I mean I, I wish them the best and I think that they're well it's doing it's also this, continue, the, but. this this argument of having no expectations. So mm-hmm. if you're on a sinking ship and you're like, okay, well let's see the ship go down and then it's fine. But if yeah. you expect like I can still save the ship, even though you know it's not possible. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I said. I was like, I'm so used to being there when things are hard to help in helping when things are hard. That it was very hard for me just to walk away from that because I felt like a personal responsibility. And it's hard for me to let go of that feeling. And I I imagine like imagine all the people at like, I don't know, like, um, let's say Blackberry, right, that walked away as it was going down and they... They were, Apple just came out of nowhere, right? And Google, and they must have felt like, oh, 
we saw this coming. Or like, let's take Kodak. It's so weird, right, know, to think of like camera. someone's going to disrupt Apple and Microsoft and Google and it's going to it's going to come out of a weird corner and we're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, f- the news right now is like Facebook is is bleeding, right? For the first time in their history, they had negative growth. You know, year uh, I think it was quarterly growth, or I can't remember if it was year over year or quarterly, but anyway, they had some negative growth numbers come out, and then they also froze all hiring. So but like, it, it it's it's funny we were just talking about Google and using it all the time to learn things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it it truly has utility and it's beautiful. It's like, oh, how do I doesn't. tie my shoelaces? How do I mm. tie a tie or whatever? And yeah. it, you just notice in your life, like all the time you use it and you're, it makes you happy. It's like, oh, I found the answer. And then Instagram, <laughs> every time I go on it, I like it less and less. And it's mm. just so clear. It's The product is really confusing. It's too many things at the same time. It's overwhelming. Yeah, Everybody knows it. You just open it up and you're like, this sucks. I would call it an embarrassment of riches. So, like, what what happens when you have too much? No, but like, no what, constraints. What I'm saying no, like, is is, is yeah. that the, it's very clear. It's not a mystery why Facebook is hurting. It's like you you tell yeah. you smell it. You open the app and you're like, oh, this stinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you know what it feels like? Microsoft Word in the early 2000s oh, or yeah. late 90s, and you're like a third of the screen was ribbons of different features, <laughs> and you're like. <laughs> Wait about where do I type, right? Like, and everything that came out after that was like just a fucking type. You that, know? But isn't that the natural cycle of companies of add-on features or, or add-on yeah. divisions, add-on, you know? Oh, this is yeah. an opportunity. That's an opportunity, and, so and then you get the, this really cr- crazy hybrid product. There's one exception to that, or not? There's several, but one of the most famous examples would be Steve Jobs in 1995, 96 came in to His Apple. Yeah. yeah, but what he did was he cut the product line way back down to just like yeah, four yeah. SKUs. But that took someone from the outside who had been away for a while because no one, back to the topic of meetings, no one for five years at Apple during those meetings had the guts to say that or had was listened to or whatever. And it, no, it took someone hard. from the outside, yeah. Well, because you probably have to hurt someone's feelings. And I used to work with someone who said, I hate killing kittens. Um, and I really found that offensive, but at the same time I knew what he meant, which is like, you know, he had to break the bad news constantly that we weren't, you know, that we're going to do less or we were going to focus on one thing and not do everything. But that's, it's a really, it's a really tough thing to do because people are passionate about everyone's bringing their best self forward or they think they are. And so to cut, I mean, I, I respect it. Um, and then if you, but if I only respect it to the extent that like Steve Jobs also catalyzed the entire company around a new vision. And I, I think yeah, some people, it's easy to be negative, no. but he didn't like, that's not how he started. Remember when he first started Apple, he had a separate campus with a pirate flag and it was very yeah. much like Steve Jobs versus Apple. So he, well, that was after the leadership. Apple two. And then he wanted to make the Mac. I don't know, something like that. No, yeah. no, I know. But yeah, like, but he learned something about leadership, which is you don't lead by, hurting others you lead by bringing them along right like in, but he didn't do that until that was like 20 years later when he he, he came back to apple right and he led it in a yeah. different way but anyway i know that he was a flawed leader at the same time no one can deny the impact right of, but but of who's going to disrupt apple what, what do you think well like you have to i think you would have to get down to what do they do from not from a technology perspective but from like an outcome based perspective right yeah what but what what, no what line do? of devices the way 
the the mainframe was disrupted by the midframe computer and then the midframe by the PC and then the, the 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 laptop disrupted the PC and then the phone disrupted the laptop and what's going to disrupt the Apple ecosystem? I I don't see anything on the horizon. What? Come on. Sure you do. Like Did, what? Well, well first of all, like the idea of like devices hits Oculus? a natural Yeah, well no, you eventually devices hit a natural like consolidation point, right? If you look at um, how many devices were consolidated into the iPhone, right? Like, it's a laptop, it's a camera, it's a weather, you know, thing. You could, like, consolidate, like, hundreds of things. And the laptop did that before the phone. Yeah. And so the but next... what's the next thing? Yeah, so the next thing has to consolidate the phone itself, like, and everything that's in it. So all screens. But and so I, people thought that was voice, but that doesn't seem to do that much. Oh, no, that's a good point. That voice has actually carved off, like a, it's like shaved a little bit off the side. Right? Yeah, it's like cooking timers and music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think like um, it might be it might be some kind of, of AR-based thing. It could be thought control, but it, it's not going to be as quick as the last jump, right? Um, remember, it what took 30 years. are you basing years. this prediction off of? How do you know it's not quick? I don't know. That's a good point. It could happen all of a sudden, like... Yeah, everything could just be in the right place at the right time, the same way the iPhone. You know, there was a bunch of technology that was there for 20 years just sitting on the shelf. Yeah, I think think of television. It's been around for a long time, and it's kind of disrupted now, but it still kind of exists in a different form. Well, I like to think that the phone didn't completely replace the laptop. Like, we're still using no. like, we. And so no. this week you were trying to get me to move all of our podcasting recording onto the phone to lower your labor Yeah, I, I was labor thinking, costs. like... Not just that, it's just really the idea of you're somewhere, you have 20 minutes to spare, yeah. and you text me and we just do a 10-minute episode. Yeah. Call the Andy Warhol like hotline. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. And but we, we did a test recording, and the quality, it's so bad that I think it's hard to pay attention as a listener. Well, I mean, the only other thing we could do is we could send out specially tuned listening devices to all our... <laughs> I don't know what we do. Like, Or they could phone it. You know what would be cool? If it was a voice recording that was really bad, we could have them listen on a really bad device. Like they could call; it's like a voicemail that they can listen to. Yeah, but but um, <laughs> I'm surprised that there is not a really uh, a network of really lo-fi podcasts. It's just like phone quality. I think it's called Pirate Radio. It's like yeah, you know, it's like CB. Like it's like AM truck drivers. Talk radio. Yeah, yeah, truck drivers like ten, you know, twenty ten, and break a break. <laughs> <laughs> zombie, zombie Zulu Kilo. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess Twitter Spaces. <laughs> Twitter Spaces is kind of like that. It's, it's pretty bad quality. Yeah, I was saying Clubhouse. Live, no. What happened to them? Right. Like, imagine well, you they, worked at Clubhouse. What a what a shame. Yeah, they got replaced by Twitter. <laughs> While we're on the Twitter topic, and I know we've this has been like a bit of a chaotic episode, but Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter again. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, and then finally, what what a waste of time! All this drama. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Just said like, but that's not what I was interested in. What I was interested in is like he's gonna fire the CEO right away. Is what I was reading. <laughs> it's like so they're like enemies. But then I was reading like predictions on the features he was gonna change, and he was basically gonna like cut it down to like he was gonna simplify it. He was gonna do the Steve Jobs thing and just make like Twitter really really basic with no extra frills but no bots and 
hyper conservative or something like that. Like it was going to become the Donald Trump network again or something like a libertarian, like free zone. Yeah. I found it interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird because I I think there's a lot of, um, it's, it's as a technical person, it's nice to think purely. It's like, what if we made the product really simple and it's Mm. just, it's just a pipeline between people, but then you know that that's not how, human communities function like you can't just uh, if everything's unfiltered of course there's going to be trouble mm, yeah i know it's going to be anyway i did buy stock way back when and uh, of what of twitter when did you buy it uh before elon like his last thing because i just wanted to see what would happen to it yeah and, it and so down. what happened it went Is, down. are you at a loss you know what's interesting though? Like I got so I always encourage people. It, well, I don't always encourage, but here's an interesting thing. Like if you do buy a stock, the the law says they have to send you, you know, like their quarterly reports. And so I get quarterly reports from like Apple, Tesla, all these like companies that I've bought a single share of. And you can buy a single share of Twitter for thirty bucks. So it's not like this is I'm like some rich shareholder. But Twitter, above all other companies, sends the largest annual or quarterly report. <laughs> I swear to God, it's like telephone book sized. Oh, funny! And it's like they huge, send you a PDF. No, no, no. It's it comes to you in the mail as a physical paper artifact. And even and if it, you just have one share of thirty dollars, yeah. and it says like your vote counts usually. But on it's it. like the shipping would cost more than the sh- that share. That's right. <laughs> but they're required to by the SEC or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, uh, you should buy like individual shares of stuff and just read the reports. They're fun to read. Well, ask me how much I want stuff in my mailbox, physical stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how much do you want it? <laughs> Zero. I, 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 that's my only political agenda to stop unwanted paper mail it it's crazy to me i i looked at i tried to research online how many pieces of mail worldwide get sent that go straight to the trash it's it's really a tragedy okay wait last thing though europe report so here's here's one bit of news you were in europe and you gave me like a little bit of a a sentiment report but i was reading that you know how europe moved to sustainable energy Mm -hmm. um the like the, the you know they're the, going for zero carbon, but one of the things they did was they was act, they used the words renewable energy, and so that made it permissible to use wood pellets to make energy. And so with the war in Ukraine and Russian like gas and oil off limits, they've been burning more of these wood pellets. But the thing Which is, create more CO two. No, but the wood pellets were supposed yes, but the wood pellets were supposed to be from like you know people throwing away their old desk or bed or whatever or IKEA furniture. But in, they ran out of that stuff a long time ago. So now they're just like clear cutting forests in, in all of the like <laughs> last forests in Europe are being cut down. Not only that, they're starting to take Canadian forests too. Like they're buying up forests in Canada to burn down. Yeah, and it's like, this is, this is absurd. Like what is going on, Europe? Come on. It get sounds like Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, it, it, yeah. It, but I definitely feel like uh, the mood is more pessimistic than in, in the U.S. right now. It's it. It. It's not just, I, I don't think it's, uh, to me, Schiphol Airport that, that is, is overwhelmed, but it's been overwhelmed since May, and they still haven't solved it. And mm-hmm. it, 
I moved to the U.S. and like any European, you go to the U.S. and you tell Americans that they're stupid. That's what every, <laughs> uh, maybe Canadians are the same. It's like, oh, you guys don't take care of your needy and your yeah. hospitals are too expensive and school is too expensive, blah, 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 blah. And I always said like, oh, Schiphol Airport is great. You pass through in five minutes and da, da, da. And now it's the opposite. I go to JFK and I'm done in three minutes and Schiphol is like several hours of waiting in line. It's weird, man. It's well, what, I, really, what I've been hearing is like, because we're having a similar crisis around nursing in Canada right now. Like yeah, nursing. and the same with education in the Netherlands. They're short on teachers. And it's like, yeah. what? And like they send kids home to sc- from school one day a week or they extend the summer vacation. So apparently it's like a perfect demographic storm that was also like compounded by the pandemic. Like we actually would have ended up here eventually, like, but it got accelerated and you mean by like, the aging population? Yeah, because there's less and less, there's not enough people to work in the I, world. And then it's also the cost of living is too high, so nobody decides to become a teacher. Exactly. So everything is like out of whack, grossly. And Are we becoming some kind of political podcast now? Dis- well, you know, <laughs> we like to point out <laughs> No, but the, the, the mood in Europe was definitely down. Like, it, it seems a difficult moment. And uh, yeah. If only Angela was here. <laughs> She would fix it. Come on. I feel like there's no, we're missing that chancellor, that steady hand. Like, but uh, I wish the best for Europe. I'm really worried for our friends in the UK as well. I do think, um, I always, you know, one of the major themes on this podcast is how software is changing the world, whether it's the art world or the world at large. Mm. And, And you're working at a startup that might add a huge efficiency to education and all these things. And, Europe is just not kicking much ass in the world of software. Yeah, you were saying that to me the other day. Yeah, and that's the scariest thing to me. So, you know, the energy crisis is temporary, and I hope they can solve it, blah, blah, blah. But where's the ambition in software? And and if you're not kicking ass in software, I mean, it... They're it, all, it, it, yeah. There definitely are people doing tons of stuff. Like no, there's smart at, people there. I was at a European accelerator earlier this week. Yeah. I was even... I was asked to be to like help found a company and join an accelerator in Europe. And then they're like, but you'll, of course you'll found the company in Canada, right? Or the United States, like one of the two, but not well, in it, Europe. It seems it's almost like a, a language thing. Like if you want to go viral, that was the way Facebook went viral in the beginning. It's very hard to do that in 12 languages. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very, it, it, and, and also different laws in different countries, all that stuff. So I don't know how to solve that problem, but it, it just seems I, I want to give credit, though, to, like, Europe for GDPR, which was, like, a huge... What, like, for cookie? adding cookie pop-ups? Well, like, no, because behind the scenes, it changed everything um, in terms of the conversations we okay. were having about users. I yeah. thought it was just a thing where you're, That's you're, how you're to put the cookie pop-up and yeah. you can't not click on it because you want to use the website. No, so no. It doesn't really like, change anything. There's all kinds of things that happen that you can't see in the background of companies around your data that actually is a net positive for society um, yeah, yeah, yeah like all different ways of people working and people working on you know and how your data is stored and all kinds of stuff the servers are being you know that are in europe and anyway there's different encryption people can and cannot see things um, but basically it's been an improvement like i can yeah. guarantee you that um, okay and then the second you know kind of piece is like like there's gdpr but now the big one the big news this week that i heard was there's USB-C as a standard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No more. But that was already on its way. 
Yeah, but like yeah. only Europe can set these kind of like major standards. So yeah. USB-C is going to be like you have you can't sell a device without USB-C with a proprietary cable. Yeah. Um I remember thinking like 10 years ago like why can't they get this shit together, right? <laughs> yeah. Um No, I I you know, I grew up in Europe and uh I very warm memories of my youth and uh, and everything working well. It just seems like I, I, when you move away from your home country, I, I don't know if this is common for a lot of people, but you remember the way it was when you grew up. And then now I go back and like, the airport is not working well. The schools are overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, doctors are having a hard time finding a job, or, or, but there's also a shortage. It just seems like, oh, this is weird. This was the the whole idea of the Netherlands was it's kind of boring, but everything works really well. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, though, we can safely say like, you know, Putin didn't make things better, right? So, well, um, I don't want to. No, it, let's not make it political. But I'm just. It's saying, not a like, political podcast, but it, what I'm talking about is uh, it, the theme of software, and I just think. Yeah. I see everything through that lens, I, but it's I don't just know. like at the end of the day, there's like bodies and like there's and war is very physical, like and it has like a direct impact on human beings and. We're feeling that, right? Like, and if they were, even if they were, there was software prowess. Like, we had a team in the Ukraine, like a software team that was brilliant, right? Like, they had to stop making software while they like were sheltering from from attack. So, I think Europe's just, I just, your sentiment, I feel it in so much as like, I don't think it's an easy time uh, for Europe. Well, maybe friends. what I'm saying is that the the. The current stress is one thing, but the, there's yeah. a bigger question, a long-term... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A long-term question of, like, how are they going to organize to be competitive? Well, it's, it's the same with... I'm surprised that Japan was such a leading country with uh, creative technology and, uh, like, the Walkman, the port of all, so all the things we talked about, like, Japan's 70s, 80s, inventing all kinds of things that yeah. were amazing f tools for artists. Yeah. And well, now... We have to do a whole episode on Japan. I mean, why is that? Like, that's the most overdue that's episode. A good one. Well, I'm going in November. We can record from there. Okay. But I also just like have so, much, man so much management uh, stuff to share about. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. my favorite topic. But, but the, yeah, th this, this platform's monopolizing and, and whether anyone could disrupt Apple and those kind of questions. Yeah. Is that where we're going to end this podcast? Yes. <laughs> At the end of the day, I got disrupted yet yet again. Um, but uh, thanks for hanging in with me, and I'm glad you didn't judge me too much. For our listeners that also keep a full time job while being an artist, I'm going to do my best to do both and uh, be a, be a good role model. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm excited about it and um, and feeling back to my old self. So thanks for bearing with me. And I made some good art, I think, and I'm, I've still got some shows coming out. You do too. We don't. We never use this to plug our own shows, but um, we hope you're all doing well. I'd love field recordings again, to be honest with you. That's you true. Know. Yeah. We. I feel like we have one that we haven't played. Oh, we like, might. Wait. Well, if if I find one, I'll stick it at the end of the episode. I just don't. Okay, know it's going to be a it. surprise yeah. <laughs> to us and to you. But thanks for listening. Thanks um, for getting back on the line, Raf. Welcome back from Europe. And till next week, happy fall. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.